Hello and welcome to Leviathan News. It's October 17th and we've got Noah here today to come and educate us on all sorts of stuff that's happening in the market, US Treasuries, Uniswap. But the big news of the past 24 hours has been the absolute, oh, I can't, I, I'm going to skip that word, absolute uh, calamity. I was going to use a uh, something show to describe what Cointelegraph did uh, after it falsely uh, put out news that a Bitcoin ETF had been approved. <laughs> really rocking the markets for an hour in a massive pump and dump that occurred in the markets. And so, yeah, that's a good place to start. Noah, how are you doing today? Another day. We do good things. We try our best, we take <laughs> care of our kids, and we inspect this insanity of markets. <laughs> so I want to just bring up a timeline because apparently, as we found out more about this story, uh, we talked about this yesterday as the pump was happening, and we really had no idea who the source was. And people couldn't figure out the source. People went on the SEC's website. They couldn't find the source there. The SEC didn't add anything. And they were like the one arbiter of truth. And uh, SEC actually had a nice cheeky little comment that they put out today with that, like the SEC's website is the only good information for the SEC's. Here, let's pull this up. It says, uh, you know, whatever like intern they have. Careful what you read on the internet. The best source of information about the SEC is the SEC. And this was in light of the uh, Cointelegraph coming out and just writing some fake stuff. So they're declaring themselves the Oracle. Yeah. To solve the Oracle <laughs> problem. So apparently the fake news came from in Infinity Hedge. A random anon called Deadlier posted the message in the Infinity Hedge discussion group. After that, that was at 1242. At 1317, Cointelegraph got the alert through a different Telegram channel, right? Somebody forwarded it to them. Uh, at 1319, I believe these are all UTC. So at 119 UTC, uh, an employee at Cointelegraph reported the text of the lead shared by the Telegram account Deadlier to an internal Slack channel. Then at 124, in an effort to publish the developments as soon as possible, Employee number two posted the report to Twitter. At 141, Fox business journalist Eleanor Terrett posted that BlackRock had just confirmed that Cointelegraph report was false. Their application was still under review. At 141, Deadlier deleted the post. And at 154, Cointelegraph employee number three edited the post on Twitter to clarify that the information was unconfirmed. And then at 232, after receiving confirmation from BlackRock that the report was incorrect and liquidating $100 million in the market, Cointelegraph retracted the initial tweet and issued an apology. But it wasn't really an apology because in, in this just wonderful piece of grifterism, uh, the Cointelegraph CEO uh, was in Dubai speaking yesterday at an event. And she specifically was asked about this, this, uh, this issue, right? And she's on stage with Mario Nafal 
and she has this to say. So let's take a look at, listen to this. And a social media post. And yes, this was disastrous. And this is an example of what cannot happen. But this is what happens when we are having constant pressure to be the first with every news. And this is not a problem of, uh, of journalism per se. It's a problem of the society that, and of the technology. I'm talking about indexation on Google, I'm talking about social media, where if you're not the first, you're the last. There is no second, third, etc. And this is a big problem. <laughs> Oh man, that's a general. It's general. It's 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 just she's trying to paper over the complexity. What else can you say? I mean, she's right about mm -hmm. the whole being first thing. Isn't that what we all experienced over the years with markets? Everyone wants to be first, and that's why we have all the history and experience of degeneracy. So the same thing happens with news. Complex yeah, but cares. but I I think there's a a level of detached. Uh, I don't know. It's it's almost like abusive language. Like it's not it's not our fault that we pump and dump the market. It's your fault. It's the market's fault for forcing us to like act in this quick and uh, you know unethical manner in posting news that we hadn't checked sources on because we had to be first. We were forced to do it. Well, I describe that is the behavior of markets as well that's what they did in news but obviously my own the way i talk about markets you need due diligence inspect the balance sheet really understand uh, the nuances of protocols but obviously with news at least check your sources uh, the, the the whole thing goes back to the concept of journalistic integrity references i'm uh I'm, I identify as a Zoomer. What's this journalistic integrity you speak of? <laughs> truth. Concept of truths. The news is whatever we say it is. It's what it's become. Yeah. Scary times. Opinions. But in this case, I think it's, I think it's you know, it, it, it tells a lot about the organization if the first thing that they're blaming, or at least the thing that they're publicly blaming, is the system for, like, it made me do this. You know, it like, I don't know. Okay, maybe, I, I maybe this is an unpopular take, but if every side and every account out there is spewing like misinformation, incorrect information, fake news, isn't like that still pretty good because kind of through the jumble, through the fog, like we can collectively land at the correct answer? Because like there was no SEC to correct this by the time the markets figured out that this was fake news. And like that was just done by a process of Anon's like being incredibly skeptical of the source. So maybe like we're actually in a decent world where people can like apply skepticism to everything they read. Oh, <laughs> Gen Pop? No. <laughs> sure, but oh. it, when when it leads to a hundred million dollars worth of liquidations, uh, there's some, probably some liability on that one, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I'm not too. Uh, I don't liquidations I, I found the price action quite interesting um it's so thin from a spot perspective that 100 mil pushes price action 10 percent. 
<laughs> I, I found that quite fascinating. Uh, it's I don't I do not obviously from a, a, a journalistic perspective you could argue the concept of manipulation to a degree, but the price action that was all organic and that was a result of the thinness of spot liquidity versus the amount of leverage and what happens with uh, the cascade, the liquidation cascade. So I, I f that was very organic in my opinion. Yeah, I think the thing to take away from yesterday is just, does this give more fodder to Gary G to say like, for these upcoming ETFs, like look at how manipulatable these spot markets are. There's no solution to this. <laughs> the, 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 this is not uh, the liquidity depth. Uh, there's how do you make more liquidity depth? You can't make more of the asset, can't make more Bitcoin. So I, I find it obviously a catch 22, but also it's just something they're not accustomed to from a traditional equity standpoint, like how to manage all those uh, inter intermediaries that are involved in equities transactions with regard to liquidity depth. Uh, I guess they do have quite a leg to stand on with regard to liability, with regard to insurance and, and, and stuff like that. Do we see this sort of thing in, in TradFi markets where the the butterfly flaps its wings and random and non comments cause a stock to pump thousand percent that was amc and gamestop 101. yeah no but that was different though right because those were the, those are people identifying weaknesses with the, the the market makers and understanding the the uh the gamma would push the stock up a ton and they could uh, prevent borrowing of their stocks to push it up even higher. I'm talking about this like fake news manipulation where you get these random headlines that come out of you know places and push stocks up 20 percent. You know, in this case, 10 percent. But if know. the liquidity is thin enough, the same phenomena would occur in equities. But there's much more depth to those markets. Uh, I I I think it. I think it's as simple as that. Uh, I don't, the point being to some degree, they have a lot of levers in TradFi in the equities markets to reduce the likelihood of this type of price action, but there is no levers to pull in crypto markets because there is only a certain quantity of assets. And, and I, I, that's the most interesting feature, not a bug. That's the they type of file argument. a pull request to, to increase the supply from 21 million, right? Or uh, probably where the markets are heading is, is the concept of uh, synthetic currency units, the, the whole Eurodollar market, Euro Bitcoin, where instead of operating on spot, maybe spot is not something that centralized exchanges are allowed to operate. Uh, maybe they can have a, a buy and sell on ramp, off ramp type of feature, but with regard to transactions, it, it can't even be necessarily their own internal synthetic currency units, but maybe it has to be actual, uh, you know, Euro Bitcoin, which is quite an interesting concept coming on. But the only one random show is like EBTC. Uh, I, I feel comfortable mentioning them, particularly because there's there's no token at all. It's just a concept, and it's a, it's an immutable concept that they're putting forward. Hmm, that's an interesting point. I think, but wouldn't you say that the all the perpetual trading is essentially synthetic BTC? Yes. Yes. 
yeah. to a, uh, to a degree. Uh, I mean, that's like it's futures. So you're you're speculating on price action, uh, maybe a little bit different as compared to like actual synthetic currency units where you have a quantity of supply circulating. Uh, so instead of 21 mil, you know, you're working with a, a couple of billion Bitcoin, synthetic Bitcoin. And I think that concept is destined to emerge. It's hmm. an interesting point. I, what has been coming about and what we wanted to talk to you today is the emergence of the treasury market on chain. Uh, right now, it's just short term treasuries, but I'm sure the long end will be pulled in at some point. And this has happened as rates have skyrocketed up to 5% on the front end uh, for U.S. Treasuries and even higher for other nations. So, like, is this something that's going to be sticky or is are we looking at a like kind of a passing fad here for on-chain RWAs? I think it's underestimated uh, because we're talking about collateral. And to understand finance, global finance, the way these systems work, it's not just price, it's not just assets, it's the concept of collateralization and the creation of synthetic currency units. Uh, it's a bigger concept than I think um, uh, is currently understood uh, broadly. Uh, you know, cre creating synthetic, synthetic currency units using United States government treasuries uh, is exactly what we use as money in the real world. Uh, most people do not use actual dollars. Most people are paying their credit card using a bank deposit, which is not a dollar. Uh, it is a, uh, is a banking dollar. So it's not a real dollar, but it is a dollar because we've become accustomed to actually using these synthetic currency units as actual dollars to the point that, that there's almost no difference. Um, so it, it's the start of something quite meaningful. The, the, why is it meaningful? Because the global financial system is not ending. Dollar hegemony is not ending today. Sure, fine, 20, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, or if you go back to like the Roman Empire, 100 years from now. So while it's important to understand where things end, it's also important to understand where we are and how you get between where we are and to where things end. So as collateral expands in the crypto markets, it's going to be quite fascinating to see endogenous synthetic currency unit creation. Uh, I define the crypto markets in terms of an emerging market, very much akin to a sovereign emerging market. And you have endogenous synthetic currency unit creation there, especially like in Britain, that's literally where the euro dollar market started. And you take collateral and you print a currency in it. Well, typically the these... Steve. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, that's, it's, it's, it seems so simple. Because from a, a crypto perspective, and po folks are like, what protocol is doing what they're doing? It's like, oh, Curve USD. Th that's just the protocol. What is the concept? And the concept is enormous. It has ties to everything uh, in traditional finance, the way the system actually works. Mm -hmm. And typically, you look at the emergence of these collateral types, specifically like the euro dollar. And then uh, before that, uh, you see like 
like ledger balances. Typically, they they emerge from periods of financial repression and this inability for financial institutions to transact with each other. And we seem to be in a modern era of financial repression, um, which is put stress on the euro dollar system. And these new tokenized RWAs that we're looking at, I mean, is this the solution? Is just putting them on chain and, and having like a global reference sheet for them that, that banks can interact with? Or do we need something entirely new that is, you know, promulgated and created fully on chain? Like like Bitcoin, like could like could Bitcoin itself like replace the the euro dollar system? The, the most important thing when inspecting crypto is the rate of change. Everything that we could think about with regard to like Bitcoin fixes everything. Yeah, sure. Check back in 20 years. Check back in 10 years to see the delta between the way things are working today and the way things are working in 10, 20 years. Uh, nothing changes quick. Everything operates like celestial phenomena. <laughs> It just huge time horizons. And you'll see small deltas over a one, two, three, like a crypto cycle type of period, a debt refinancing cycle period. Um, but what I see is analogy. This is like that. This is like that. And everything that has been built in crypto markets, you know, just hits these analogies so incredibly well. Um, I don't think they're immediate solutions uh, because it's all about consumption. Value is completely a manifestation of demand. Uh, so where's the demand for printing the euro dollars uh, on chain? It's not necessarily a real world demand, but what determines real world demand? Regulatory arbitrage and, um, and opportunity. Capital always flows from uh, poor opportunity to, or to most opportunity or to uh, from highest risk to least risk, uh, risk arbitrage as well. Uh, so I think just merely the concept of permissionlessness uh, has the potential to significantly affect real world behaviors with regard to where collateral is sourced uh, and, and where liabilities are printed. And there's no counterparties on crypto markets. That unto itself is extraordinary from a risk management perspective. Wait, can you go on that? You that... stumped Sam. No, I was just sorry. My 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 wife came in as we were talking. She showed me a, a, a she made me a wonderful plate of food. <laughs> I got a little distracted towards the end. Um, well, let's go back toward the um, that last point. Um, on the, you know, when I, when I look at the, like the, the stable coins that we're building and also these treasuries, uh, we, we, we kind of have this like prototypical free market system that we've built. Uh, but there seems to be like little uptake from the, uh, commercial side to use these systems yet. You know, yes, they, they seem to be interesting as collateral, uh, yes, they seem to like solve a lot of the problems that the existing euro dollar system has, uh, but the uptake is still slow, and we're just seeing you know continuous bank trials that that don't really go anywhere. And 
there's almost this interplay between, oh, hey, should we build permission environments or maybe like a consortium of bank environments, which we kind of already have, right? That's kind of like what the existing euro dollar system is. But like, where's the impetus to, to bring things onto a fully public blockchain and uh, have significant growth, not just in the hundreds of millions like we've seen so far, but up, to, up in the, the trillions? I think the future, the turning points will be the equa equation, uh, the equation uh, of the equating of synthetic dollar liabilities on chain and synthetic dollar liabilities uh, between banks, and and the access. So what you said, financial repression, that's quite meaningful. A lot of what's occurring in the world is because of the lack of dollar availability, and that drives behavior, and that's why the DXY has done what it's done, and that's why foreign central banks are under as much pressure as they are, because if there was excess dollar liquidity, uh, that means people have money, uh, and companies have money, and countries have dollars which they don't. So they're buying them using their currencies. And that's why the FX markets are doing what they're doing. So there's a cyclicality between FX markets and, and bond prices because particularly long end treasuries. And we see as with long end rates, 10 years up 2.63% today, uh, the volatility is extraordinary, but it's, everything is cyclical. So cyclically, either go to the FX market for dollars or you use pristine collateral or the best collateral you could get your hands on to print dollar liabilities, hopefully at a discount compared to the FX market. That's why it's all cyclical. It depends on mm -hmm. whether it's a premium or a discount. Um, and it's all about dollars. Uh, so if you can't get your hands on dollars, you try and get your hands on U.S. bonds. What happens if you can't get your hands on U.S. bonds? Now, this isn't probably the next cycle, like in the next one to three years, because next year there's going to be, you know, Mike Howell says 11 trill. I probably say about 11 and a half to 13 trillion dollars worth of fresh on the run U.S. paper in between long end and short end, whatever the hell Yellen comes up with. So there's going to be a flood of, uh, of U.S. pristine collateral in the system. And, uh, you know, we're early with regards to this on-chain collateral. Uh, probably you got to look back in like four, five, six, at start 2030s to really see where the hell things are going because there's just going to be so much U.S. Treasury paper. So you can see that as an interesting sequence of events. What happens if there's a shortage of dollars and a shortage of U.S. Treasuries? Where do you get your collateral? Oh, it just so happens that Bitcoin and Ethereum are interesting forms of collateral. And there happens to be uh, collateralized debt positions that can be made on chain permissionlessly to print dollar liabilities. And there happens to be, oh, this new bank out of Singapore that uh, facilitates uh, payment uh, settlement using pick your on-chain synthetic dollar liability, or uh, maybe there's uh, uh, settlement stable coins, USDC, mm -hmm. which is a on-chain bank liability 
So you have liquidity with an on-chain synthetic dollar liability and on-chain bank liability. So you actually can make settlement using a bank liability because the liquidity is available. So I actually, um, while we were talking about this, I, I had it brought me back to something. And I wanted to bring on um, Patrick Dugan, who we've had on before. And uh, Patrick was one of the first people that I ever heard the term uh, hyper-Bitcoin dollarization from. And essentially saying that uh, the, the the higher the price of Bitcoin goes, the more dollar liabilities can be issued against it, which begets more dollar liabilities, which begets more dollar liabilities. And it goes in this like crazy cyclical cycle that just goes like up and down and up and down. And eventually it's just going to lead towards Bitcoin doing its hyper Bitcoinization thing. But it but it does what you're talking about in that it, it starts to uh, underlie the the dollar markets. So I think he's here. Patrick, are you here? I don't think he's been able to join yet, but he'll be here in a second. He's, I see his, his box here. It's a wonderful thought, actually, because you only really care about settlement, meaning we wake up, we go to a store, we want to purchase something, and what is accepted as payment. Now, that's cool from a maximalist perspective where folks are like, at some point you can execute settlement using actual Bitcoin or, you know, synthetic Bitcoin or proxy of Bitcoin, lightning network, so on and so forth. But you got to live in today and you got to plan financially today. As Garrett, you know, I like to plan financially for Thursdays and Fridays because that's payday. Uh, so it, I don't subscribe to to running your financials based on 20 years, 30 years, 50 years down the road. Like, how do I take my money into the next life? Uh, that, that's something that doesn't seem overwhelmingly reasonable. Now, it makes perfect sense for for the big boys that are making 20 mil a year, 50 mil a year, and they have a couple of bill in savings, Michael Saylor, because uh, who cares about the savings? Tell a story, tell a narrative. Yeah, good, savings gets allocated to that. Because you're making 20, 30, 40, 50 million a year. You got your cash flow. Cash flow and investing are two separate components. So I like that concept of Bitcoin as collateral. And be, particularly because you can print dollar liabilities. And dollar liabilities are very much accepted pretty much globally as settlement. All right. Now we do have Patrick on. Welcome. Oh, good. Work this time. Yeah, I wanted to jump in earlier and say you were talking about the liabilities going up. And I was going to say, yeah, sometimes you also have rapid, massive deleveraging and, and destruction of the dollar tokens, right? Like that's that's a part of it. Um, so, you know, back in the old days uh, before the Federal Reserve, they used to have banking crises out in the Wild West and things like this because everybody was essentially running their own MakerDAO. That's like what banking was back then, right? <laughs> um, and um, so you had to diversify where you deposited. Um, and this is what uh, Muslims call garar or uh, uncertainty. There's different definitions of it, but my understanding of it is like with CoinFlex, where you had margining or like, let's say CME, Right. And CME, you had the Refco failure, uh, a futures broker went down and that guy, John Corzine, actually ended up becoming like a big political guy. So he kind of got away with it. Uh, uh, we lost him. He was getting into it. He's about to cook. 
<laughs> that history is a brilliant reference or just the concept of where we were because everything is cyclical and it comes back. Everything comes back around. Just, I'm just very fond of that reality and accepting the, the nature of cyclicality. <laughs> I like the, uh, I like the, you know, Patrick always brings up uh, the points about like Islamic finance. And I always think it's interesting that, that crypto as a whole is tending towards uh, the, like the Muslim world, right? Like it's centering in Dubai and uh, the, like the power of the, uh, that, that kind of center to like wage war on, on debt and wage war on, yeah. on interest is, is really interesting. Mashallah. Well, I was just um, talking to a, a brother. Sorry about that. My, my browser crashed. I was just talking to a brother about uh, some of my ideas about this and how they need to do solar thermal in the desert and, and massively mine Bitcoin <laughs> um, and how Islamic finance and the currencies. So you either in Muslim countries, you either have extreme hyperinflation. It's like Latin America in the, in the 80s or you have. Oh, no, we lost him again. <laughs> Too spicy. We'll put it uh, cut by the FBI again. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's it's Fun not as simple. The capcast. Yeah. What, what was this? The capcast. This is, this is the capcast. <laughs> uh, there is no simple answer to. Um, there's no simple answer to managing capital. And I yeah. just I, I, tr I keep trying on Twitter to navigate or dance around uh you know the concept of of like bitcoin maximalism well i've and come about i so i've had i've had a change of heart this year um previously like if you had asked me in like 21 or 22 i would have said like nah bitcoin like don't need it um but what i've seen from uh, it's a it's a computer sorry about that yeah so um, Patrick, what I was just saying is that um, like this year, I've had a change of heart about Bitcoin. So uh, seeing what happened, if you'd asked me in 21 or 22 or even 20, I would have said, nah, nah, Ethereum is the place to be. Like, look at all the developers that are here. Look at what everybody's building. Uh, but we've kind of hit a point in Ethereum's growth cycle where uh, it's it's in everybody's incentive to go out and build these like middleware structures or like account abstraction, attempts, um, you know, like this associative list building to integrate KYC, like in Uniswap with hooks and everything. And so a lot of the, the infrastructure is starting to be moved into these like middleware layers and middleware opens up huge amounts of opportunity for repression and censorship which is something that just can't happen in Bitcoin. So if you're, if you're talking about a like pristine stellar asset, which can be held by banks, can be held by really anybody, it's that, right? Like I wouldn't say that about Ethereum anymore. And so, um, but I, I think yeah, we're getting, I, mean, at, I think we're getting ahead of the point here. I, I, let me, I let, 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 let's go back to the beginning actually, because I think we're getting ahead too far ahead. Um, Patrick, maybe you can like walk us through like hyper Bitcoin dollarization because you were the first person that I ever heard that from. And I, you know, have, has your view on that changed? Or okay, so a... imagine the, at the, the ending. No, I'm still into it. Um, so, well, 
imagine the ending of Bretton Woods, but in reverse. And instead of it being gold, it's Bitcoin. How does that sound? So, you know, that was like kind of a, a slowly and then all at once kind of thing with Nixon. But it was this, uh, you know, asymptote that they approached in the deficit, which was going to lead to a um, an emptying of the vaults. So if you, you know, uh, Jack Dorsey had this website, he was promoting what happened in 1971. That's what happened, right? So if you do it, if you did it in reverse, like it's uh, my favorite movie, Tenet, and you're like, right? that would be hyper Bitcoinization where things are going into the vaults and the vaults are these channels or, or whatever structures we do to bridge Bitcoin or, or lock it up somehow. Um, and that it's it's Bitcoin instead of gold. Um, and then, uh, but, you know, instead of, I mean, in this case, we're printing money in both senses. So, um, so basically, um, people are looking for yield. Uh, and if they're Muslims looking for halal yield, so that's another that's that's where it gets a little ambiguous on, on the fix. So I'm not going to get too much into the weeds there. Yeah. But also they're looking for stability, right? So we we're talking about you're talking about the, the Muslim world and it cut out the second time earlier. But I wanted to say that like the dilemma with Islamic finance is that they're all well. One, on one hand, they're doing things that are arguably not halal. Maybe they're halal that get you yield. So that's that's the kind of getting into the weeds conversation. I think we'll save that for another day. Um, it's salient to to nectar, of course, but um, but we'll save it for another day. But the stability aspect, just how can we like have money that we can just use and we're not going to get locked out and it's not going to get inflated away and and et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. It's not going to uh, default on us and, and evaporate in our hands. Um, and so you have currencies that are, in the Muslim world, you have currencies that are, are like Latin American peso type currencies, like the lira hyper went into a big inflation. Obviously, in Syria, it's even more intense inflation. It's like Argentina all over again. They have parallel exchange rates. So the official exchange rate for Syrian pounds is something like 2000. And it was like 200 not that long ago. And on the black market, it's like probably by now, it's probably like 10,000. Um, and the Turkish lira... Uh, I don't think there's too much of a black market premium, but I imagine there's a little bit. Um, and then on the other hand, you have currencies like the Saudi Real, the the, the UAE Durham, AEDs, um, the Omani Dinar, the, the Jordanian, uh, I think it might be a Dinar. And these typically have exchange rates that are like more than $1. So you're like, oh man, this is like heavy money, right? And it's like a psychological thing. It's kind of like that stable coin that pegged itself at, as the, like uh, a rye, you know, that pegged itself as three point something dollars so that um, <laughs> Liz Warren and, and we'll leave it alone basically. Um, and they, where, what is the, how does that work, right? It's that they're central, they have central banks their central banks might not be engaging in the same kind of swaps for religious reasons that central banks typically do, but you know, they're doing something right. So they're, they're in, they're in this mesh and that they're holding dollar reserves. So maybe they're not holding treasury bills cause that's Reba. Right. But they're, they're holding some other things. Right. Um, and that it's all dollar pegs. So it's funny because Bitcoiners who are like super hardcore. And so I'm like you, I moved more, to the sort of the right, I guess, on Bitcoin as well. Um, because now that I'm a Muslim, I finally understand Bitcoin maximalists. Whereas, and and you were like pro Ethereum, and I was like, no, Bitcoin, but with DeFi. 
and and with lending and all these because why not right and it's like well god doesn't like it okay so, and and also that it creates risk and it and it's it, it creates an illusion of risk-free that creates like a rentier uh stratification so it's it's unjust for a, a few reasons um and that bitcoin has the same problem that the muslim world has which is we we end up using dollars and dollars are evil. Dollars have the Illuminati eyeball on the back of the thing, right? <laughs> like it's pretty, it's pretty like in your face if you if you pay attention to it. And as we see in in the uh, the Gazan genocide that's going on, that's being backed by the United States, uh, in, inherently, um, that it's it's proof of violence, and it doesn't have to be that often. But it, when it happens, it's random and shocking and meted out semi-arbitrarily we like to say it's not meted out arbitrarily but usually there's collateral damage and innocent people suffer so this is not a good you know it's kind of like uh in monty python that uh random bints and lakes distributing swords is no basis for a system of government and uh you know random uh, political grievances uh blowing up civilians with conventional or non-conventional explosives is no basis for a system of money right so the thing is, if you're Saudi Arabia, you can't just say, great, let's just stop using dollars. Like, it's just not an option. What are you going to, you're going to use uh, Chinese yuan? No. And and anyway, there's no moral high ground in that either because they're persecuting well, just remember, Uyghurs, right? It, so, it's always about who will accept what for settlement. That, that's mm -hmm. what drives the whole thing is I want to buy something. What will you accept allowing me to buy it? And until... Right. So that's kind of like the uh, the entrenchment because you can't just change it to something else unless so if I'm accepting a yuan for the food I'm selling, oh shit, I still need dollars to buy my supplies. So it, right. it gets entrenched. It's the momentum. supply chains. So the dollar has this global spider web of, of supply chain mastery, and the petrodollar is is this locus that ties it all together, right? And this is what we have to accomplish with cryptocurrency. So old uh, Chuck Haas, as I like to call him, the founder of Cardano, um, once uh, was more accessible guy and, and we chatted on Skype once and, and he mentioned this currency, the Ven, I think it was, which was a basket of commodities and it was highly stable. And uh, you like that Chuck Haas? And um, <laughs> so uh, good guy, I have uh, nothing bad to say about him. and. Um, I thought that was an interesting idea. And, and before that, I had been interested in Thomas Greco's book about mutual credit clearing currencies, uh, like the Veer Bank in Switzerland. And so this is a, a demurrage based currency. It has a negative interest rate, which is funnily enough what like the Euro central bankers were trying to do and, and the Japanese central bankers were trying to do. Um, and that these currencies, uh, the, the Veer Bank was like a central clearinghouse, but that member merchants or like farmers or manufacturers people in supply chains ultimately merchants are just the the thing that people are familiar with because they're the last step in the supply chain before you eat the thing or whatever right or you use the 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 depreciable uh durable good or whatever right um they would have a inventory that's like measurable a certain amount of revenue so they would get a credit line on this basis and they're all conjuring the script into existence this is mutual credit clearing and these uh, networks have gained a certain amount of, of traction but they haven't um gone global they haven't gotten big yet um but basically i think that 
the ideal thing instead of uh, crypto dollarization would be crypto commodity unitization, essentially, which isn't as catchy. Um, but in the meantime, in this transitional period, we're going to, for the next like decade maybe or two, we're going to still use the dollars. Um, so uh, Jeff Schneider is a really smart guy. Um, he likes to talk about euro dollars. And he was on Twitter uh, the other week talking about how, like, okay, like, I'm, I'm reading about Bitcoin. I kind of dig it. Also, Louis C.K. had his, his coming to Bitcoin moment as well. That was good. <laughs> um, but Jeff Snyder's not as, as popular as Louis C.K., but maybe he should be. Should be, um, right. He's guilty of fewer crimes. Um, so <laughs> I feel like Louis would appreciate that if he, if he was a Jeff Schneider fan like I am. So anyway, so Jeff Schneider was like, yeah, Bitcoin, you know, is cool, but um, I don't get it because we need elastic money and Bitcoin's not elastic. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, because Bitcoin is not elastic, it is highly volatile. And even if we were trading it for VENs or, you know, commodity basket tokens or like an aggregate index of all the local currencies that have different weightings, because, you know, you have Adam Smith comparative advantage, you can grow tomatoes more cost effectively in some climates, et cetera, right? Um, you aggregate it. So we, we have this idealized commodity money, whatever it is, right? And actually, um, I, I, uh, the fella, on, the, on the thing uh, about the Quintina uh, was talking about this years ago, he said that ultimately it's going to be Bitcoin for commodities. Right. Um, but you're, you're still going to have volatility in the Bitcoin because mm -hmm. the Bitcoin is inelastic and the commodities are elastic. Right. Uh, sometimes you have good weather, you get a big bumper crop, you know what I mean? Whatever. Right. You, I, I think you find the, an asteroid with a bunch of gold in it. Um, Patrick, so, on, on the on the Jeff on the Jeff thing, just to. To kind of relate more about that, what I really enjoyed about like what Jeff was saying recently is that the emergence of these token systems and potentially the way that we uh, Bitcoin or these like on-chain treasuries has the ability to potentially uh, separate credit or sorry money creation from banks, so they just go back to being banks and uh, helping mm. uh, intermediate Same money. Bank. Oh right? my god. Instead, instead of like instead of instead of using the banks as the like way to print all the money in the world, exactly right. Uh, we just move banks to yeah. being places where they facilitate loans and do other you know typical banking uh, issues, right? Well, the complexity with banks yeah, issuing like, loans is is who are they? Where whose capital are they lending? And I would love to see right. the day where a bank actually has the money or the item that's intended to be stored rather than lending it out because they're getting all the damn returns well i mean but this is this is kind of like the argument against the the fed right is that if you just had a bunch of like private banks that were creating money right they would be much more uh conservative about what that money would be used for right because it's it's their own private for-profit system and uh so they they wouldn't they wouldn't be as excessive in their uh, in in how they're using it and and what purposes they're using it for and there would be more constraints on the, the financial system. So when you have a a public entity like the Fed, which is able to socialize losses, it 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 like inverts the the risk profile where you know banks are are incentivized to take as much risk as possible because they know that at the end of the day, if there is any sort of bank collapse or anything, they're going to be safe. We have like GSIBs, which we know will never go down, right? Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, like they, these banks will never collapse. So they, they have uh, like,
like different requirements about them and they're able to take different risks that other banks may not be able to. Well, there's still a business and this, the, the, the reason they take all these risks is because of they have to report to shareholders and get some profit and Citibank needs to get off the actual rock bottom collapse stock price. Yeah. I think they're in the wrong business. As, uh, things are, certainly need to change and I don't think we're going to have solutions to global money uh, anytime soon. Uh, but what we have is is tools that are being built. And, and that's the way my mind likes to work. I love to reduce things to the simplest possible uh, tool. And what we have is uh, is exactly what you said, Sam, is uh, the inversion, uh, uh, where instead of the institution, the creditor taking the risk, it is the debtor taking the risk with uh, the crypto protocols that have been created. And, and that is something that I think is uh, quite uh, different than the status quo. And, and that certainly catches my fancy. So, um... If you got rid of the banking monopoly on moving money, and then it was just the money printer, but then it's like, let's say we get rid of this too, because it's Haram or because the inflation makes it untenable. So like in Latin American countries, like in Argentina, for example, M2 money is not the source of the inflation. It's all M1, you know, backdoor money printing to finance the deficit because sure. people don't really trust the banks and they're, they, you can go and get like 75%. Now it's probably like a hundred percent in interest. And you think that's smart. And then the currency slash inflation devaluates faster. So you've got, you know, you're getting negative real yield and it's a sucker's game. Um, and, and so on. Um, and the, you know, the credit, there's also problems with, with the credit risk on, on the people. Um, and then on the other hand, you have the country, obviously you've had dollarized countries in Latin America, uh, like El Salvador or Ecuador or Venezuela. Now it is de facto dollarized because their hyperinflation went all the way to the wall. But like in Peru, for example, um, they're pseudo dollarized. So they have the soul. You can get real yield in the soul ostensibly. The exchange rate's been very stable for years. But people still don't trust it because people get burnt out on this stuff. And so they they just by preference, because you can easily get the dollars in, in the accounts, um, they, they're, some, they're semi-dollarized. And you can like pay the taxi guy in $20 bill, for example. You might be overpaying a little bit. But um, and then you can go into a bank in any bank without, I think you got to maybe show ID. But um yeah, and they'll give you like maybe a wide bid aspirin. Um, I, I was just in Peru last month. It's, a, it's an interesting country. It's got potential. Um, and the way that these banks work structurally, so Schneider likes to talk about this, is that whereas with the Solace, they're kind of just printing money, with the Euro dollars, they've got a certain amount of physical dollars floating around. And then they've got these synthetic dollars, which are basically like Solace plus a swap. And then who are they doing the swap with? And so it ultimately goes back to Citibank and, and the and the and F, uh, you know Federal Reserve Bank of New York and all this all this system, right? Um, so you know if we decoupled all of that, what you end up with are like fintechs that do originate to distribute. And if they're well regulated, then they're not doing so much like ninja loans. So uh, my boss is really into shorting the stock uh, New Bank, which has been big in Latin America and is also uh, friendly to crypto. Um, and they haven't gone down yet, so he's you know he's he's still patiently waiting on that. Um, <laughs> and he's been shorting banks this year. And and the th funny thing about most stocks is that they don't go to zero. They have assets. Maybe they rely on zombie credit or maybe they don't so it's a cleaner acquisition and you can buy them under nav and then somebody's going to pay like nav plus 
to acquire them. So it's like that's value investing even at the at the tail end. So that's like even like a kind of a healthy capitalism. But with banks, if the depositors are going to end up getting 99% back, you're you as the common stockholder, you're going to zero, right? Like like just a big fat zero. And like um he made a bunch of money, uh, my my homeboy, uh in the in the one week in May with like out of the money puts, he was buying them for like 15 cents and on uh, on First Republic. And that sucker went from 15 uh, to eight to six to three to 80 cents to zero, one trading session to another. It was, and, and that's the kind of thing you only really get that like once in a career, right? I, yeah, I yeah, think yeah, he thinks time, yeah. he'll get it again. No, 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 never. But, <laughs> I mean, it was amazing. It was that's it like was stunning Ackman's wet dream. It was short something to like, zero. Out of the money puts. Yeah. 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 And, and it goes um, to zero. I was, like, uh, I was like Jeremy Strong in the big short. And I was like, you don't know if these are even going to settle. You got to you got to take profits now. And he was like, um, you know, the guy from the office. Um, <laughs> I don't remember his name, but and he was like, no, it's like I got to hold it. I gotta, you know, so he did end up having some puts that ended up settling into a short position that he then had to go cover. But the stock stops trading. So you have to go out and like go OTC to like buy this, buy the, the shares for like a penny. To cover it, it was, that's how that works mechanically. Do you remember um, when the uh, do you remember anyway, the, once we get rid of all this mm -hmm. and we just have origination, and then it's like, well, okay, so like Bruce uh, Fenton had an alternative idea for mortgage financing where you set up an LLC, yeah, that, yeah. you're or maybe a C corp because the tax reporting is easier. Now they've got these new treasury regs that make the U.S. a real pain in the butt, where you can get huge penalties for not doing an additional FinCEN report for your um, C corps and LLCs. It's 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 really annoying. Um, I think it comes to effect in 2025. There's also the the treasury regs that are going to make basically we just have to geo block the USA. So <laughs> it's like uh, capital controls are coming, and they're just it's via reg capture. And and like they know that like ninety eight percent of the filers are going to be small businesses that can't afford it. Oh yeah. So yeah. it's like, it's it's. I hate to be this guy, but it is Kafka esque. I know that's kind of trite to say, <laughs> but it's like what's 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 specifically Kafka esque versus Orwellian is that the Orwellian thing is intentionally dehumanizing you through um you know hitting you in the face and telling you that it's it's a, a donut or whatever. You know what I mean? And that. <laughs> Kafka-esque thing is intentionally dehumanizing you by hitting you in the face with a piece of paper and telling you it's because you know you violated the clause where like you don't get hit in the face and or, you know what i mean so it's a subtle difference yeah this thank you for <laughs> pulling this up yeah well and elon is all programming us with the for you feed and i don't necessarily agree with all the programming but this one's pretty good um and so it's a subtle distinction, Orwellianism versus Kafkaesque. Orwellianism is is doublespeak, and Kafkaesque is using backdoors in overly elaborate, uh, you know, bureaucratic mechanisms, right? So this is what we're getting from the United States. But hey, at least they're not Orwellian like the Chinese. See, it's better. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It's it's better. It's more free. So um, yeah, so we're gonna. I put this in in the the trade layer client. Unfortunately, due to C plus plus, I didn't get to ship it. So I got to rebuild it. I'm rebuilding it in JavaScript. But um, yeah, you just you just use a bunch of APIs at the free tier. And, um, and so if, Patrick, on know, the on the yeah. um, uh, 
you, you VPN sniff them. If you detect a VPN, you don't let them use the client. If they want to fork the client and and jailbreak it, you know, they could probably do it with a modicum of knowledge. But then, like, they're going through efforts, and it's like it's on them. It's not on me, bro. So <laughs> then you've got this whole question. You're talking about Ethereum. The, the architecture, the fundamental architecture of Ethereum is that you've got these central smart contracts that you call to, right? So then there's liability in, like, how you design that. Whereas the Bitcoin DeFi stuff, usually it's based on co-signing. You, you maybe you're doing it with Schnorr to make or BLS to make it like more efficient to get the thresholds. If it's like a really big multi-sig, there might be a taproot involved. Or like the way I architected trade layers is just elaborate setups of, of more or less vanilla transactions with an opportune payload, and you just co-sign it. Um, mm. This is a little simpler, but I, either way, there's some there's a, a sim, like you're not. Like the smart contract, quote unquote, uh, efficacy of the Bitcoin DeFi architectures tend to be based on a consensus vis-a-vis a signature, right? Mm-hmm. Vis-a-vis is the most complex thing, and that's I'm trying to make it simple. Um, but with the but with much, the well, with better. Ethereum, we're, yeah. we're moving towards this like off-chain intense architecture where uh, you know you have a solver who's essentially doing the work for you and providing you with the, the execution or not like you would execute it still but like the solving of the of whatever you want to do would would come from somewhere off chain right um garrett's got a jump garrett good seeing you today all right see ya thanks oh, I uh, great discussion. didn't get to hear from me much um, i appreciate that so let, let, let's come back to the uh the the tokenized treasury issues like is this is this the okay. thing that starts the this new wave of of like euro dollarization on chain like are they are they good enough products that in 10 years this is going to be like the primary asset that's traded back and forth and instead of like euro dollar liabilities we're we've just tokenized them all they exist on ethereum somewhere or some l2 and well, not primary at mm-hmm. the obviously the status quo is mostly unchangeable uh but change starts at the margins and all you need is some risk manager out there to say all right let's try eliminating a couple of layers of counterparties and let's get this bank to accept this synthetic dollar liability for settlement why because the synthetic liability has this risk profile and is that acceptable and if it's not oh maybe this on-chain bank liability has a risk profile that's acceptable or at least a little bit more acceptable as compared to the pure synthetic currency unit and as long as one of those dollar liabilities is acceptable all of a sudden that idea floats yeah so the way that you make um synthetics really systemic risk secured one way to do it is like let's say it's liquidity and it's zero percent and it's basically an out of the money option that's hedging a 50 percent ltv um loan um to create this this dollar currency lusd um so they don't have that they just have it you know with liquidations but they could update it right and um this is how drawbridge capital used to do um secured loans before they got acquired by galaxy this was back in like 2021 they got acquired and um 
And then they would couple it by getting you to sell an out of the money call. And I was like, well, what happens if you, you know, and they go, oh, well, you book out and stuff like that. And you, there's like a stop loss, basically, if it runs too deep in the money. Um, and I was like, well, what if you do like a calendar spread type deal? And so you can like buy another way out of the money call option for longer duration. And, and then you eat into, you know, and they're like, yeah, it was too complex. But you know I me, mean? I like to play with the uh, the options portfolios. Um, but yeah, they, they would consider um, a but secured that, loan. Isn't that what the banks do? Is like they have guys like you, super smart, like guys like you, sitting like, "Hey, I've got a brand new way that we could hedge out this collateral that's using yeah the, this this like highly exotic option structure that I think we can manage the risk, right? Like I've done the modeling, right? But that's <laughs> and, the whole yeah, problem. Hemker Shim was talking about this on a podcast I was listening to last month, where they have these structured products. So now that T-bills are, are you paying five something? You deposit, you give your money to them, they buy T-bills, they post them as margin, and then they use that margin to like sell zero DTE option call spreads that are out of the money. So I've, I've also been doing some uh, options back testing this year. And, um, you know, you, you can do these strategies where you're, you're selling a call or a put spread and you filter on which one it is. So doing iron, iron condors is a little greedy. That doesn't really work. You can't just sell iron condors every day and just pig out, right? Because the market does move more than that. Um, and basically, or, or whatever, you do 7 DT, you do 45 DT. There, there's ways to make money pretty consistently underwriting chunks of risk in, in the options market on SPX and so on. But that's and, from internal. Um, that's as if the bank is managing their risk. Uh, but the beauty of what has been created on chain is the risk is transferred in most part to the collateral. Yeah. Well, it changes and, and the, the entire the equation. problem is that without, without another asset, like um, a T-bill backed dollar that has its, where the, the underlying delivery risk is, is on the US government basically. And what's great about T-bills is that you're not really um, taking a bet on inflation like you are with a 20 year or whatever. Um, because you'll just get, you know, inflation goes up, it goes down, you'll get it back in six months and you do whatever you want with it. Right. Um, and I was thinking, wouldn't it be funny if, um, in, at the end of the banana Republic, it's tether and other, you know, competitors <laughs> that are piling in money to the front of the curve and financing, you know, IRS agent salaries and so on, on a month to month basis. Um, but anyways, I think that's quite reasonable. Um, <laughs> I think that's likely. I, I literally, I, I think how do they finance fiscal as this spirals because the interest rate regime at least the directionality technically appears to be higher lows higher highs pre 80 whatever 83 84 and it makes sense yeah. structurally so that means more and more deficits more and more fiscal they have to issue more and more bills as well as long end who's going to buy it and I think right. there's limits to the risk profile that the entire global centralized banking infrastructure can accept and, and then it just stalls. But that is a different equation with regard to on-chain where all the risk is taken off the infrastructure. There's no risk management team at Liquidy. It's you're liquidated <laughs> and your collateral is sold to make the protocol whole. It, it is protective of the infrastructure. You don't need the sophisticated hedges in order to protect the, or at least with regard to liquidity because it's not, no AMOs and whatnot. It's not actively protected uh, pegging, uh, but you, you could always just liquidate to make the currency unit whole. Well, 
you say you 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 say could always and just those three words are doing a lot of heavy lifting so Good this point. is the problem and this is where the the gerar comes back in um is that maybe you maybe you have a liquidity risk right maybe there's a maybe you have a 1987 style movement times you know 10 which is what we saw so 1987, I think it was like a, a 20 or 30% move, which culminated in like a 10% move in one day or, or, or something like that, right? And everybody was um, systematically selling more and more S&P contracts because they were like, well, according to Black Shoals, if you do this, it's like having a put option, but uh, without having to pay the premium, right? So this created a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, we saw something like that in, in accelerated timeframe in the 2010 flash crash, which I witnessed in real time. And uh, a friend of mine who had a little managed accounts business, I, I hesitate to call it a hedge fund. He didn't have enough assets. It was just low <laughs> sevens. But he made like a million bucks that day. Um, and you, do you remember the tape of uh, the guy in the pit? He's like, we got 100 cars coming in. That's what the Chicago guys call the, the big S&P notional contracts. Um, so it ended up being the physical traders who, who ended up like buying that dip because all the HFTs were doing something sort of probably a more sophisticated version of what people were systematically doing in, in 1987. So the systematic aspects, a book uh, called An Engine, Not a Camera is a really good text on, on these sort of things. Of course, it was published before uh, 2010, but I was reading it in 2010 and then the flash crash happened and I was like, oh, okay, it is an engine indeed. Um, and so these are engines, right? So whereas, okay, you have these, these um, put options built into it and then you have some other pool that comes in and writes these out of the money puts. And um, so what, what happens then? Well, if the puts settle in Ethereum so that you don't have the regulatory capture of the T-bills, you have the inverse quoting problem where there's technically infinite Ethereum downside. You know, if, if Ethereum went to a penny, it would be like doubling and doubling and doubling, right? Yep, yep. Um, so then if you do something like what, what CoinFlex did, where um, it, it was like a smarter version of like what FTX did. Now, of course, these are both really bad examples nominally because they both went bankrupt. But that was for other reasons, guys. It was because they had no recourse accounts. That that was what introduced the Garar into those systems. But the underlying clearing system was actually kind of smart. You could trade the contracts out and it hedges out. It looked linear. So if you if you had a Bitcoin, you sold one Bitcoin notional, you wouldn't be able to get liquidated. Same thing with like a Darabit inverse quoted. Um, but that there was also a delivery option. So if you were one X short, um, you could take delivery and then you would have a bunch of USD at the average price of your position in your account and visa versa. If you're long a bunch of USD and then you, you get the synthetic, you take delivery. Now you got physical Bitcoin. You can withdraw it. What we call physical Bitcoin. Physical Bitcoin is such a funny term. It's like, what is yeah. like, there's physical Bitcoin miners. There's physical electricity. Anyway, well, isn't, this, um, isn't this what uh, Arthur talked about a few years back when saying that the beauty of crypto is that we internalize all the risk into our own system. So you could have a you could have a thirty percent down day on Bitcoin, where you have three or I don't know ten billion dollars worth of liquidations, right? Like everybody's wrecked uh, internally. Everything's great, right? Because uh, it's all. You just know what, bro? I feel like we coasted on that sensibility from arthur they were like you know what arthur's like a muscular guy i can follow him as the tribal leader and if he says it it's probably true no, this no, no, is but, better but than the cme what, 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 what i'm saying is like if what you, happened if you look at but, if, if you look at the, okay. the the market dynamics right so i, I think we were you, we were going on about like the flash crash and everything else during that period is that 
those moves that happen during the on like the S&P, right, is that the institutions, banks, whatever, they have unlimited risk in those situations. And so yeah. if you if you have these if if they're not like hedged in the exact perfect way like a la 2008, uh you end up with these systemic collapse of of the entire system just because risk is not managed. They didn't think of they didn't think that housing well, prices would ever go down, right? And so, and the hedging is an illusion because let's say you're long a, a ton of credit default swaps, and there's more open interest in credit mm -hmm. default swaps than there is underlying bonds. Well, that bank's going to. I mean, this is what the the conversation with Jeremy Strong and and the, yeah. the office guy was at the end of Big Short. That ultimately, it's the Fed taxing everybody through diluting the money supply, and that's the socialist. That's the insurance fund. Yeah, <laughs> right? but on, Bit, on Bitmex, it's, on yeah. Bitmex, or it wasn't really Bitmex. Like, if you remember, do you remember the OKX whale? Who caused the haircut uh, back in? Oh, I remember the bear whale in 2014. Um, yeah, so but, but, so but on these on these Bitcoin exchanges, right? The the it, it's it's up to the exchange to manage its risk, right? The exchange itself has to implement limits because it it, it knows the uh, risk that each uh, user is. Uh, like allowed and taking at any one time. And so it's if you quantifiable. Look at, yeah, it's very quantifiable. If you look at the like OKX whale, what, what happened there, I believe if he was short, Bitcoin had a huge, massive position. He was like 30% of all open interest on the exchange. And uh, they allowed mm -hmm. him to take this position. And then eventually the Bitcoin went down and the whale was liquidated and they forced everyone in the exchange because there was now a, a gap that had to be filled. And so everybody on the yeah. exchange had to take a haircut, I believe it was like seven or 14%. So like, and this was on, and this was on like open trades as well too. And this is just something that we don't see in our like wider economy, right? Where uh, yeah. the, the risk that, that we allow people to take to the downside uh, and, and into the negative, right? Is never, is never counterbalanced by those who would profit from it. So the, the, if, if you have these systemic events, you know those losses get socialized among the 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 tax base. Well, yeah, it's the opposite, right? Base, it's the right? guy who versus, owns the most the most yeah. real estate or the most gold or the most shares mm -hmm. who gets uh, the outpaced gains from the resulting inflation, right? And this is yeah. what Bitcoiners tend to complain about, or just the guy, or just the people on the other side of the trades, like the people that do really well in these in these negative events that are like short coming into two thousand eight. I mean, they they get to walk away with windfall sums while everyone else suffers and it's not like it's not like they're like the the moral thing to do or at least the good thing to do would be to go back and and uh like bring those positions into line which still allows them to profit but not at, to the point where um there's like calamitous or you could index them based on how how much leverage was in the initial margin basis of those positions based on your database and because if you're 1x hedged you might have posted 20 percent because you've got bitcoin elsewhere so then you are actually taking like a real loss but and and it's hard to know exactly yeah and then um you know the guy who who gambled and won just pays the tax disproportionately but because because yeah, we're, we're getting to that, that i mean we're getting to that point now and maybe um uh maybe no you can talk about this a little bit is that like the banks are in this kind of strange position where uh they bought all these like low yielding bonds back two years ago 
And now they're sitting on what, just over like $130 billion worth of uh, hold to market losses. I think that's just Bank of America. It's just Bank of America. <laughs> and, you know, globally, there's probably trillions of dollars of HTM losses uh, because the bond market decided to violently move upwards over the course of six months. Uh, and, you know, all of those, all of those losses are, you know, are, are systemic, right? And they'll have to be covered by either inflation or some sort of, uh, no, HTM no. portfolio. There, there, there is no losses unless they have the mark to market, which is not necessarily the case. In the end, the only thing that triggers the HTM issue is withdrawals. And then they have to redeem their portfolio. Uh, what? Yeah. And when repro waits, repo weights i'm like uh, i got roticism when repo rates say that 10 times fast uh were kept in line that wasn't a problem because they could just go basically to the fed or to that market and get overnight money to service that and then we saw that blow out in 2019 then we saw the covid situation which was bio warfare by the way uh now i'm like sounding like a conspiracy guy but I think <laughs> some people feel me on that and then you remember Rational. sam and what happened with crypto that was our 1987 and it was our so basically what i was saying earlier is that i feel like arthur hayes saying yeah look we don't we don't do recourse we liquidate liquidations are efficient everybody like trusted that and like the, the success of die was successful and then i feel like coinflex which was roger ver with a no recourse account funnel so that goes against part of what arthur was saying and also ftx where alameda had like the no recourse account from the abyss from like the deepest pit of hell you know um that was a, and also a fraud right um that this blew us all up and that we thought that this was actually real but even with bitmax you remember the conversation that we had in like may 2020 on, on your podcast that it was like basically arthur just saying okay guys just shut the server down because otherwise we're going to like one thousand dollars or something and we're going to lose our entire insurance fund so like we just have the bitcoin and it's all our database so let's just let's just not do that and they were the interest industry leader and then it was like that was their their you know that's when they jumped the shark basically right it was that day um, and then all the other exchanges went down. I don't know. Maybe they called each other because I remember Darabit went down. They did go all down. I was Bitmex pulled the plug out. <laughs> I remember. So, yes, it's such a traded to react to it. I think Binance Spot may have been working. Um, so yeah, our infrastructure is not great. And um, now with like Z, like something like zk proofs on Bitcoin with like DLC Link as your bridge, or like I'm playing around with um, SBTC on Stacks on, on their testnet. Um, I whipped up some perp code, you know, like that, these, these are all interesting. I'd be really interested to see uh, how successful the stacks, uh, states, uh, big state channel uh, mechanism holds up, or if there's another infamous uh, operational risk uh, nightmare that might occur with that. I hope not. Um, so, you know, but we're, we're all making efforts in this direction. DLC link is cool because it's all individual channels. Um, and Stacks also funded a thing where the execution of managing those channels is wrapped in Stacks contracts. Um, so that's like a more bilateral, um, you know, rhizomatic way of, of doing synthetic Bitcoin. Um, and then uh, you, you guys saw BitVM, right? This has been making yeah, the buzz lately. Yeah. And I saw in the channel, uh, Jeremy Rubin, uh, God bless him, uh, was uh, suggesting a non-interactive version. So people are, are prodding at that. Um, you could also, in a more simple way, just do a ZK proof 
that gets verified within the logic of something like an omnilayer type protocol that then batch moves a bunch of tokens and then do the um, trades of those tokens. Uh, but then we, we still have this infinite regress issue of like, well, what's underlying it all? Is it treasury bonds? Is it some, some real estate investment trust that's like in Chile or Argentina? You got to trust the Argentine guy. Um, and maybe he's a very trustworthy Argentine guy, but you know what I mean? <laughs> um, or is it a synthetic Bitcoin with, with uh you know a derivative and then there's like an options market attached to it and then it, there, you can also th there's got to be some like t-bill backed thing or it's like a, U, uh, a, a uae durham backed thing but what's the uae durham backed by it's backed by dollars basically you know what i mean so like it, it's like it's hard to get away from this unless we actually go down like if, if we got enough if this real world assets thing took off and there was an edge to it it wasn't just like a, a shittier version of a, of a REIT, right? Um, but actually that, so like I'm a shareholder, uh, full disclosure, and, and I was an advisor, that's how I got the, the shares, in uh, Ubiquity, which has been a startup. Oh my God. Uh, it's been around for a while. It's been through a few cycles. You'd and my cool. man is still grinding. He, I think he raised some money in Dubai recently, mashallah. And um, that they do infrastructure. They've been working with the title industry to make title um, insurance more efficient by using timestamps on mm -hmm. blockchains to regulate the databases. That's kind of the TLDR. So these kind of uh, efficiency gains might make it more possible to go into the weeds and securitize more real estate. And then you roll it into an upread, you get like an index or a handful of indices. Here's the Chilean farmland index. Here's the Argentine farmland index. Here's the Nigerian farmland index. Uh, if you invest in this, the the, the prince will uh, release a lot of money to you. Um, no, I'm just kidding. God, Nigeria needs help, guys. Let's, let's, let's help Nigeria. Um, and that we could then map global supply chains on food and also other things, timber and metals and, and the economics. And we could, we, and, and this won't just be one app, right? This is going to be, well, nobody's even doing this yet. We have talked about it. I remember talking with the, um, the guys from uh, ItBit back in 2014 about uh, supply chain finance. And it just hasn't taken off. So there's a, there's a number of things that everyone, you know, also the real world assets thing. And also this is something that we always talk about in the bear market because there's no like, <laughs> oh, I can rehypothecate the, the, the Ethereum and then restake it and then take a loan against the restaking token and then put it into uh, into MIM. Which, and what does that do? Oh, well, it's the DGEN box, you fellas. So <laughs> it, it goes into Luna, and, and, and but it, it first it borrows money to like make the 15% of 60%, and they take 10% off the top. But they're cool guys. Uh, none of them are going to jail. Um, well, you know hold what on, I mean? hold and, on. And yeah, Abracadabra uh, like paid all the money back. There was no shortfall there. Oh, did they? But, yeah, and they're still operating oh, well. today. So like they designed a very good system there well then god it's forgive me for backbiting them <laughs> yeah but um you know other people uh you know died uh and and then people went to jail um so anyways I, so we go through these cycles right and yeah. so when you're when all of that gets the air let out of it we go well hey you know maybe if we put reits on the blockchain that would be good <laughs> and maybe i should get into pairs trading and like maybe i should yeah. start a podcast i, I saw that i saw we, we, i saw that yesterday that like you you know it's the bottom when you're when you're pairs trading 
uh, starting a podcast. And what was the other thing? It was uh, reading a book. Reading the a worst book. One. <laughs> yeah, it's the worst yeah. one. <laughs> Not like a PDF file, but a physical book that you ordered. <laughs> that is the bottom. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, so we go through this, but it doesn't mean that these aren't good ideas. It just means that um, it's a lot easier to go with with the feedback loop in the what we call the native ecosystem. Um, yeah. So wait, let, let's go yeah. back to uh, let's go back to Noah here because we just it was a lot. Um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 know, like I to go wanted off. to jump in. I don't. Where are we? <laughs> the, the, the world is well, this is, idea uh, of like where do we end up and it's with a mapping the global supply chain into the i like the that because world. in the end the only money in existence is uh commodities and consumer mm -hmm. staples and everything else is a derivative all money is a derivative of something that's consumable especially energy so that really is a big part of trying to wrap your head around a solution to the fixing money statement that Maximus love to make uh, is how, and that's the whole concept of elasticity is how do you make money map to the available supply of energy? And both are obviously, uh, they're off. <laughs> it's not uh, effectively representative of available supply. And that's exactly what consumer price inflation, that's that's what manifests consumer price inflation. Um, there is no easy answers and I certainly don't have them because the only way when you have a reduction in available consumables is to deflate the money supply and that means depreciation and that means everything uh, collateral gets liquidated and capital destruction and poverty and suffering and and being being broke so yeah you we used to call that the that. business cycle right, <laughs> right? so so, so what does, does that, that mean have to be how it is so they engineered this smoother thing which has lulled us into a sort of complacency the soft landing engineering well, you can't the, you, you, you can't you can't uh get rid of volatility you can only push it somewhere else well they're pushing it so. in I mean, literally, they're pushing all everything into the volatility, or it's going to be disparity. Uh, that's where it's all getting pushed into. And at some point, so TLT uh, is is trading at like sixteen year lows. Oof, look at that today. Uh, look at where it opened. Jesus. Well, that you know, I, listen, you have time horizons, and you have different perspective. You have solutions to the money problem which we like to think of as an engineer and then you have capital management from a personal perspective over what time horizon and these are the types of things that humans like to think about what's important to us and probably on most on my mind is capital management from a one to three year time horizon i, I do like to think out to the 2030s because i think things structurally will start to change and, and that definitely captivates me with regard to what is collateral one well what is accepted forms of collateral that's the whole concept of rwas as well as bitcoin and, and likely ethereum to a degree um but also what but one of the most exciting things is the change of what is an investment or what is investable in a rising interest rate regime and i, I find that yeah. fascinating to contemplate I mean, really what is probably inevitable at this point is that the monetization of broad equities into at first 
isn't it the long end or maybe even the the whole yield curve because uh, that's you have transitory periods of capital reallocation and bonds just as we saw in 2020 prices were through the roof and then the capital gets reallocated and things start to stabilize so the same thing is with the dollar so the dollar and bonds are transitory destination of capital uh, leading towards an investment of some kind to be productive to outperform the rate of return on on the government security because uh, you can only get uh, you know, two and a half to five percent for so so long until you're like, okay, I could probably do better with my capital. So that's really why the move indicator is so incredible. Because when volatility is low, that's what triggers capital allocation. So with volatility high, as we see uh, technically, and also the sentiment, we're in this period of where an what is investable is going to be redefined incredibly. Anyway, that's what's on my yeah, mind. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what the guy was saying on the news yesterday. It's a flight to quality. I don't remember he's the guy's name, but you know, quality. One of, one of these famous guys. This BlackRock dude. He said that. <laughs> now you know, think right. But, what is he thinking? Yeah. Bitcoin flight to qu what is quality? Quality is a uh, quality subjective. is BlackRock iShares Bitcoin. Yeah, <laughs> it's subjective. It's that's not a. It's an interesting word because it's not useful from a. It's not really meaningful. It's subjective. Quality. I think he just he means um, he means he means what I'm saying. A flight from capital from a shitty investment to a better investment well bitcoin uh, is up 68 percent on the year it's the best performing asset class when looked at all of its peers um and so even though we're still down 50 percent from from the highs i mean you're if you're allocating like a normal person and you're buying a little bit of bitcoin every now and again you're probably still doing well you know um and as long as you manage yes. your as long as you manage your portfolio to the point where you know like you could have Bitcoin be 100% of your portfolio, and then you take on a lot more risk. But if you and let's let's not forget Litecoin, guys. <laughs> no, but really, uh, Litecoin is going to inherit all the same apps uh, with some exceptions. So, for instance, uh, ZeroSync, which is really awesome, and it's the same dude, Robin Linus, who uh, came up with the BitVM white paper. It's harder to do zero sync on Litecoin. Uh, it's less of a problem. For, well, it's going to become more of a problem for Litecoin as Litecoin gets DeFi adoption from some of the simpler things. So it's something to keep in mind um, because doing script in Cairo is challenging uh, because of the amount of RAM manipulation involved in script, which was by design so that script wouldn't be so biased towards the chips. Um, of course, you still have script ASICs and they, you can get Dogecoin with them as well, right? So Dogecoin also inherits this and it's the same mining uh, yield. So that's kind of cool. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so it, it's going to be harder to, to do that on Litecoin. It's not going to be something that's going to be really germane to the next bull cycle, which I do think that we'll see. Um, but it'll be germane later and, and somebody will have to figure it out, I think. Um, so that, you know, basically the guy uh, in Africa on his phone can have a light wallet that verifies the ZK proof of state and he doesn't have to. But then he sort of has a full node. It's not like a full, full node, but it's full enough. Um, but otherwise, Litecoin can inherit all of the 
uh, DeFi utilities of, um, yeah, I mean, look at this chart. It's not that great, right? Um, it's like, didn't it hardly made higher highs. It was like a scam wick to, to new highs in 2021. Uh, um, but what you do see reliably is that it reprices from millibits to uh, one to two bit cents every cycle, right? And so what happens is everybody just kind of makes that a self-fulfilling prophecy, trades into it, gets more Bitcoin, then maybe they hold the Bitcoin, maybe they hedge the Bitcoin, then they get more Bitcoin that way. Um, it's yeah, uh, when, when I, things turn down. It has such but a different yeah. narrative than Bitcoin, though. I think uh, I think everything reduces to two things. What is collateralizable and what is useful for settlement? And I think that sure. drives especially uh, especially the next one to three years with regard to Bitcoin, especially. I, I think, you know, obviously post-2020, everything is, is different with, uh, with the concept of all of these uh, applications. That changes everything, so comfortably say it's different so i think what's going to be so interesting is rather than you know you know like traditional business cycle and uh, credit loosens uh, or maybe we see fiscal like we did in 2020 and we see this large beginning of a large excess of liquidity in the system and we see start to see capital inflows first beginning to get the sentiment we might see endogenous liability creation first and that possibly is the catalyst for capital inflows. But it's and when you do that, an interesting dynamic would happen because uh, you have Bitcoin on chain and and you have obviously all this collateralizable material, primarily Bitcoin and Ethereum uh, on Ethereum to collateralize the print liabilities. It's the, the cleanest form of collateral. And you see the capital expansion. You see stablecoin uh, supply increase, and you start to see velocity. And that we'll draw in capital because capital flows from shit velocity to good velocity, shit opportunity to good opportunity. And what's interesting from that perspective is you don't ever even necessarily need like immense fiscal injection around the world, excess liquidity supply around the world, because there's a huge amount of capital already existing around the world. And that's the capital rotation, the concept of reallocating from a shit investment to something that's outperforming, underperformance to outperformance. You know, like, so what are the first shoes to drop? How is it not reasonable to think equities are going to demonetize into at least parts of the treasury curve? And what happens when parts of the, the you know, the treasuries or short end, whatever, uh, significantly appreciate, uh, all of a sudden, uh, uh, volatility goes down and collateral prices pristine collateral globally goes up and that's perfect conditions for expansion of global liquidity supply uh, in terms of the traditional euro dollar market and there you go now the rest of the world's got significant liquidity and crypto liquidity is occurring endogenously so you have exogenous and endogenous is the perfect storm like i see kind of next year as like the potential perfect storm for significant financial activity especially with Treasury needing to issue, you know, at least eleven plus fresh on the run collateral. I mean, literally, they're going to be flooding the global market with eleven plus trillion dollars of zero rehypothecated, rehypothecated, 
paper. As, I mean, the whole financial construct is a manifestation of the extent of rehypothecation that has occurred over the last yep. 70 years, give or take. And now they're going to flutter with 11 plus trillion dollars of fresh on the run. I mean, you literally have a perfect storm for like a monumental tsunami of global liquidity. Well, and earlier you mentioned higher lows and, and uh, or, yeah, higher lows and higher highs. And it reminded me of the chart of inflation in the 1970s and also interest rates as a, a lagging indicator reacting to that. And that's basically what I think we're going to be in for for the rest of the decade. Um, and then U.S. stocks uh, were kind of sideways in that decade uh they of course they went up nominally for a little while and then people take profits because they need to actually realize the profits so it turned into what we call a pvp market right where it was all traders like shorting into each other's bids zero sum um and the only exception to that was famously warren buffett um who uh you know was investing in stuff like walmart back then um so then it was gold and then um and it was petrodollars so the equivalent of crypto coming in and buying the front of the curve was um, oil money getting recycled. And uh, the, the movie Network has a good bit about this in, in the act uh, three. And um, and then he's like, you are meddling with the forces of nature, Mr. <laughs> Beal. That was about petrodollars, right? Um, <laughs> it's like, don't don't stop the Arabs from buying our, our equity. We need the petrodollars to come back. Um, and then Isn't that interesting? Was, uh, if crypto uh, not su supplants or at least comes online to a degree and recycles, sterilizes to a degree that Saudi Arabia historically served the role as, that'd be fascinating. Um, well, and and my hope, inshallah, is that Saudi Arabia won't necessarily be displaced from this. That they'll they'll be doing a lot of mining as well as as well as other countries. Um, and so Oman is, I think, taking the lead in the in the region at the moment um, with this because of the way that the fiqh works in the Abadi school versus in Sunni Islam and in the Hanbali Madhab. But that's that's a whole other conversation. Um, but yeah, inshallah, they'll they'll join in. Um, like I was saying, the, the solar thermal, it's not even like you, you don't depend on rare earth metals from China. It's just mirrors and fiberglass. And um, and before solar PV got more efficient at the you know molecular level and more efficient at the manufacturing ROI, uh, solar thermal was the front runner and it still has a lot of potential and the supply chain is more robust. So anyway, um, I, I, that, that's my hope there. Um, and what's interesting about that is like, you've got all this shifting regulation but Muslims are not supposed to be voting left and right. Of course, it still happens, but like within bounds, like ultimately our duty is, is to God and to the laws of God. Now, how those laws are interpreted, this is what we call the thick. And there's a, a, a wealth of, of diverse interpretation, not radically, you know, not radically different. Uh, there's a lot of things people agree on. So I think in that basis, we might see them as being a regulatory bastion for economic liberty. Um, because you can invest in Bitcoin mining. And of course, you got to cut the Sultan in on it. Okay. That's just a part of it. But, or the Emir, it depends, you know, if it's an emirate or, or a kingdom. But, you know, hey, it's a monarchy. You don't have to worry about Muslim Elizabeth Warren coming around. <laughs> and and rugging you right and so <laughs> consistency you you have lanes you have uh, expectations that are 
predictable to a degree because of yeah. constraints that everyone accepts as norms. That's quite interesting. Exactly. So the, this is the concern with real world assets. It's not like, is Patrick Dugan's REIT going to be bad or, or is Eduardo's REIT going to be bad? Because you can index a bunch of these, right? Um, and you have legal and it's like, yeah, it sucks to have to go to court and how good is the court system and all this stuff, right? But these are all things that are somewhat predictable and somewhat measurable. Um, and then it's like, okay, well, is the Chilean constitution going to change? Well, I got news for it. It's probably not going to change. The right's coming out with a, a sort of a cartoonishly more right-wing than the Guzman dictatorship era constitution draft. Uh, and so that's just going to be like a succession of, of, the right wingers rejecting the left's constitution and, and the right uh, the left rejecting the right's constitution so we're just going to end up with the same co constitution which maybe is for the best i don't know whatever it's <laughs> it's over um and you know the government has a lot of emergency powers and stuff like that so if there was like a, a an earthquake and it was like a dire national emergency then you might have to suspend the dividend on your farmland read because maybe they're like no we need the food to like do emergency feeding you know we'll pay you in pesos whatever right so maybe you can keep the dividend but like so th these are the factors that come into real world assets and um you know chile is like an exemplary uh stable example among the non-us marketplaces for something like this but i was talking about real world assets in ghana it's probably a little bit worse because in nigeria it'd be somewhat worse 20 or 30 percent worse right if it's in kenya maybe it's about the same i don't know you know something like that um if it's in the united states of america then you got to deal with Liz Warren, right? So um, th this is the thing is, will there be a regulatory shift? Um, and also it's like, why are you like putting shares on the blockchain if you have to like KYC everything? Uh, isn't that to just go trade it on the New York Stock Exchange? You know what I mean? Like, but so the only what, what, answers there are, are it's a long tail thing them. or oh, that let, we have a loophole and people can go rehypothecated in DeFi basically. So I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, what's, what I catch as my current thought, RWAs, I distinguish between on-chain property and enterprise. There's much more complexity associated with that. But on-chain U.S. government paper, that's kind of black and white. Uh, obviously, you just have a trust or whatever the hell you, you do internationally. Yeah. And so you have your counterparty risk but it's a risk-free dollar-denominated asset. Uh, so I think the equation there is much simpler. And I find it interesting that the issuers of this on-chain paper, um, they are not offering it to U.S. citizens, obviously from an SEC perspective, but that means it's completely open yeah. to the world. So, you know, a good part... Barring, barring like it, Yemen... Uh, uh, North Korea and uh, who, you know the 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 typical uh, the culprits, uh, but you know it just rings the same tune as uh, something I talk about quite often is the concept of recycling and sterilization, uh, and for and what is opportunistically, uh, what does that indicate potential paths that we had uh, that what we get to see play out if Saudi Arabia is not recycling and the rest of the world is not recycling to the same degree and uh we're not going to be able to reduce rates to the same degree we historically have we need a way to recycle so it could very well be the case that direct from treasury and the fed uh it is pushed 
to that you could buy your treasuries and it's just it's permissionless and you can buy them on the blockchain and you can buy it on jpm blockchain because how else are they going to finance the fiscal that they're, they're going to need to finance if the fiscal situation in respective countries uh is not capable I and mean, japan's in no position uh to be accumulating anything uh the, the, i don't know what the hell is going to play out in japan and china's they're 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 canceled in regards uh they're aligned with a different region of the world as the world bifurcates and the middle east is just a hot mess they're not buying saudi arabia well, it's UAE, hot. yeah it's, it's just a hot mess it's because just i just all right i i can't look i can't look i don't there's, there's, there's no there's solutions anytime well, soon. Well, you know, there's Kurdistan, there's there's Assad bombing people in Idlib. Uh, oh. The Yemen conflict is winding down. Um, maybe we're going to see Sunni and Shia power axes actually come to some sort of alignment now because they're al allying against Israel together. Um, so, you know, I, I have some hope that the conflicts in the Middle East will improve, actually. Um, oh. And the, I would hope the so. situation in Gaza is, you know, you know, it's is is very bad. Um, and I'm, I I just keep praying for peace. Um, and that you know, fewer, fewer people have to suffer. Um, yeah. and you know, try to do what I can. Um, but yeah. So I mean, but, but the thing about the Middle East though is that um, there's an underlying. We're, we're, we're they're notorious for being inconsistent or volatile. But there is an underlying consistency to it, uh, and that sometimes people just have to be reminded about that, and, and them first and foremost. So anyway, I, I don't want to say anything bad about it. Um, but so you know, regarding the, the financial system, we can recreate the euro dollar system in its classical form, in its 1960s London form, basically, um, just with the tokenized T bills. If you can like put the T bills in a in a DAO and then issue like meta tokens and then go and like rehypothecate those now, but are, are we not like reintroducing the banking system? Where obviously it's Reba, um, and then there's there's risks, there's tail risks. You can get liquidated, sure. you can have chains of liquidations. So this isn't that great, but it is something. And then what you have like in the stock market right now is you have a lot of stocks like Western Union or utilities that have been beaten down because of the 2022 repricing of everything. So they're kind of attractive valuations and they have about like 7% dividend yields. So this is what we call a risk premium because you, you still have risk holding those shares, but then they might go up 10, 20% and they go, or like Ford stock is traded in a nice range where you could, you could flip it for about 20% while picking up a 7% dividend yield. Um, right. And of course, when it's at the top of the range, it's not a 7%, it's a five something, but you know, so that's, so that this is what's happening. It's, it's pricing out the risk premium. The risk premium comes back in, people trade it. It's, it's kind of like the light coin bitcoin ratio this ford yeah. ford trade against the dollar um and it's like went out of business right i mean they did almost but but the u.s government bailed them out so that's also probably giving the buyers confidence when they bid um so we're going to see something similar with the bitcoin dollarization getting back to why i was invited on today um where the bitcoin so okay if you if you have a perp swap that has a baseline interest rate then that's obviously reba because you're imitating reba 
and you're referencing Reba, right? So when BitMEX initially did this, they referenced the Bitcoin, the Bitfinex market. And this was about uh, four or five months before they got hacked and, and they issued a debenture and they bailed everybody in on it. And it was, a, it was one of the early big operational risk upsets before DeFi made it a multi-billion dollar industry for black hats and, and a centi-million dollar industry for white hats, um, right? But you know, so then they stopped referencing it. And Arthur was like, well, how, how's one basis point? That's a round number. So that's about 10.5% PA. And this became a convention. Um, and then Darabit did something very smart where, and also I think more halal, where they went with a 0% baseline rate. Um, and then we saw places like FTX, uh, their fraud notwithstanding, where the perp just traded out on a pure basis. So what would happen is you would get like a positive, you know, fraction of a basis point some hours, a negative fraction some other hours. So it's harder to do interest rate based arbitrage in, in that because it was harder to predict the time series, but it would tend to kind of blend down. So that was less desirable as a product because it's less predictable, I suppose. Um, and um, what, what you see with Darabit is that people park in the open interest and then they go and they arbitrage the perps somewhere else. Um, so they get a big open interest and a lower volume, whereas these other things like on Bybit or what have you will, will do more volume. Um, and that, I think that was wise of them from, from a business point of view. And it's also interesting from a, a systemic point of view, um, because if we look at it in a pure sense, all of the yield that you're getting from the Darabit swap, let's say we're all Muslims and we think that's halal and we all do that. And so there's these one basis point baseline things go out of business for like religious reasons, because obviously they're attractive. Well, I mean, for, for a long perp guy, they're less attractive, but why did, were they so popular? It's because people are kind of dumb. The people who are long perps are not financially sophisticated. They're like 22 year old guys. They're like holding perps for months. So like, oh yeah, like this is the way to get rich. And then they're like, bro, I paid like 30% interest. Like what? Like, so it's it's actually like an inefficiency in the market, right? Like if you were going to hold a position for months and you had any sophistication, you would buy a future and lock in the rate for one thing, right? Um, even though it's less liquid, you're not going to trade it that much. So it was mostly for people to day trade. And then they're just kind of writing it off in their heads that, oh yeah, there's one basis point coming in eight hours, but like, I'm not even going to, I'm going to get in and out of this in like five. Or, or less, right? Um, so it is actually a little bit unethical just because it's like play, it's rentiering off of uh, unsophisticated traders, right? Um, so what happens is when Bitcoin goes up, you're, you as the synthetic dollar holder are getting yield off of essentially a profit share, right? You're only really getting paid when the vol when the upside volatility pops off that premium enough that it starts to charge, uh, you know, funding. And, um, and then vis versa, you're lending, you're bringing, you're going to want to bring your liquidity to give the guy an exit if he's gambling or he's not too leveraged, but it, you know, it's what we call maybe a speculation. Maybe that's acceptable. Maybe it's, there's no amount that's acceptable, whatever. It is what it is. And, but you're coming in, you're going to want to come into the market and um, yeah, no problem. You're going to want to come into the market and provide some liquidity, right? So this is what we've been talking about with Nectar is that buying that discount is actually a decent way to earn yield also. Mm -hmm. And you have to be able to cycle into something that is, is just, you know, it's a different instrument that's like going to charge you zero, basically like LUSD, for example. Um, so what happens is that the the 
the positive and negative funding from the zero baseline rate perp swap is analogous to the optionality that is priced in from the options market, but it's it's more flat, right? So it's like a pure row dimension. Mm. Um, and I think that's very interesting and I think it's important. Um, so anyway, you're, we're going to see this dynamic where the volatility in Bitcoin, I think, will become more muted. And it's going to be kind of like how everybody went to search for yield selling like short term seven and, and zero DT, one DT options. And, and they suppressed the VIX after three years of like you could sell 10 Delta iron condors. And it was like, oh, it was glorious. The back tests are, are amazing. And then the back tests from like 2015, 2013, no, no, you know, you don't care. Right. But in for like 2020 through 2022, it was it was glorious. And then by 2023, they've, they've muted it. And now just recently, because fundamental reality is starting to intrude again we see the vix pop back up to like 18 19 right and it's in this range like it was before where you could buy it at 15 16 sell it at 2022 we're kind of in it's a smaller range so i think something like this will actually happen with bitcoin and once everybody figures out that this is a yield machine um it creates this catalytic inflow and it's going to happen on the institutional side it's going to happen on the informal side um and then you will also possibly see the Fed lower interest rates uh, because they kind of have to. And, and this is the dance of the 1970s, right? And then, oh no, inflation went back up. Now we have to raise interest rates, right? And that next time they'll raise it to six, five or seven, and then inflation will go back down, but things will break. So then they'll cut it back to four, three and a half. And then they'll have to, inflation will go back to seven, eight percent then they'll jack it up to eight, nine, 10%. Um, and then eventually, you know, if history rhymes, instead of trading gold to the Arabs and then putting on a, a margin clamp on the CME and rugging the gold market, they'll do it to the Bitcoin market. Um, <laughs> but if they destroy their their market share, kind of like how China scared all the Bitcoin miners out of China, not all of them, they're still it's got still 10 percent market share. But now it's mostly the USA. But if they, if they um, if the Biden administration and it's it's ilk. Um, finish doing what they're doing, which is made pseudo, you know, Kafka-esque backdoor making Bitcoin and crypto illegal, not Bitcoin. You can hold Bitcoin. You can put it in a custodial, right? You're going to let you put it in the ETF, right? So that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to give these products the de facto regulatory. Packaging. Um, yeah. But then they won't have the leverage to do what they did to the gold market and to the Hunt brothers infamously in 1980. Um, which is which is good. That would be that would be a, a way of history rhyming. That would be good because it means that it's not. You know, remember all the gold bugs? Oh, they're suppressing the price of gold. And, it, <laughs> and then it turned out, yeah, like Blythe Masters and, and J.P. Morgan Commodities were doing it. And here's the lawsuit. Um, so uh, and also gold's probably going to go up. It's not not spectacularly, but probably like five k. Um, so yeah, I mean. And then, and then ultimately, if if we've diversified away enough in terms of market structure from the the U.S. center of liquidity to like the Mid East or like a because what's if it's not the Mid East, what's the alternative? It's like Ecuador, maybe Singapore with with a fair amount of regulations, like Panama. It's just a pearl necklace of little places, right? I think it's spot on with what's going on where where uh, where the capital, the liquidity centers can head. Uh, UAE just screams it. Uh, I, I, I just, I, I get, uh, I, I see a lot of things to be excited about for a transition of uh, 
of where the capital center or the liquidity center of the world is. Uh, it's been too long in uh, in Europe, and they're just too, under too much uh, natural resource pressure. Uh, I think. The oh world yeah, be- I mean Europe's. Europe's Orwellian and Kafkaesque. They've got the yes. best of China and the United States. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Yeah, I, I think DFIC is nice because it's common law. It's not cheap to do business in Dubai. It's not cheap to rent, you know, it's not cheap to eat, et cetera, there. But uh, I think it's about $9,000 plus probably three or four a year to have an entity in DFIC. But, you know, if you're at enough scale, like as a serious business, it is a pretty good place to set up uh, one of these trusts and issue a token. Um and it's it'll be i gotta look up if they're in common reporting standards and i'm curious how much they're going to come into this global kyc dragnet um you know supranational regulatory treaty system um but if it's not dfic you know maybe oman um oman's interesting um you know maybe saudi saudi's kind of it's like a bigger boat so it's gonna like saudi's been kind of turning the the boat around a little bit not turning it around but but pivoting it a little bit um so maybe not saudi so much saudi's probably going to be a a later mover um so i mean really the epicenter there's still the epicenter with the capacity to to print dollars because they have their the the natural resource to do so uh, so yeah. that would make sense in regards to set up this type of entity they could sell their dollars and purchase permissionlessly any form of collateral they want whether it's a, an on-chain u.s asset uh, and and well the the kyc dragnet as you mentioned is a complexity there but clearly they could purchase bitcoin and ethereum and print dollar liabilities and the biggest thing on my mind is probably who accepts these on-chain dollar liabilities as a dollar equivalent. Uh, and like what Tether's been doing out in the East, where it's been used for cross-border uh, or a capital flight from China, uh, I think that is interesting. And that rings of this type of story. Uh, who is going to accept these dollar liabilities as a dollar equivalent and then all you need is collateral, and then you have dollars. Mm-hmm. And then the equation changes uh, uh, with regard to who can print dollars, even more so than the euro dollar market ever allowed. Well, I think that's a uh, yeah. So let's let's leave it at that. We're coming towards the top of the hour of the second hour, uh, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> we covered a lot of stuff. Uh, I want to thank both of you for being here today, uh, Noah. Patrick. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, Patrick. Good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Let's follow and, each other on Twitter. Captain yeah. Rational. <laughs> uh, we will be back tomorrow. Uh, we've got a bunch to talk about this week. Uh, later this week, we're going to talk about Uniswap and their uh, incestuous relationship between Uniswap Labs, this foundation, the Uni token holders, VC equity holders. Um, and we're going to get into that. So that, I believe. Is I never thought go. governance tokens were a good idea. Yeah. Well, especially theirs. It's <laughs> a good way to cash in. Yeah, cash in and bro down for, yeah. <laughs> for a number of problems. Okay, guys. Well, yep. We'll see everybody tomorrow. Thank you for tuning in and stay with us. Ciao, guys. Bye. Thank you.